Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks for being out here this morning. My name is Joe. If we've not met before, I'm one of the pastors here at Grace, and I'm super excited to be with you guys today and engage in the All the Feels series and just seeing your guys' bright, shining faces is kind of getting me right here and kind of have all the feels myself. So uh, looking forward to diving into this. Uh, We've been uh, uh, privileged. Pastor Ryan last week kicked this series off and really hit a phenomenal foundation for us on what it means to, to process emotion, especially those emotions that end up taking us kind of a negative uh, spin. And so gave us a great way to look at that. And if you missed that last weekend, I highly recommend going online, go to our website or hit our podcast or get on the app and catch up on that. Because I think no matter what the emotion is that you are struggling with or getting involved with, uh, that's going to be something that's going to be very helpful for all of us for a long time. Um, Another thing I want to mention is... um, for those of you that had a hard time finding a seat this morning or like, man, I kind of squeeze in here. We had plenty of seats last night. So if you love Saturday nights and you want to go to dinner after church and, and do that or whatever and sleep in or have family brunch on Sunday morning, that is an option. And uh, you're welcome to take advantage of that. Um, but, <coughs> excuse me, uh, I've been fighting some allergies and stuff. So if you hear me cough a little bit, I apologize. And I'll put a cough drop right there in case it gets insane. But... Um, We've had a, a really good time, and, and this, this morning we're really going to dive into the, to- the topics of insecurity and anxiety. And I'll be honest, when I knew I was going to be speaking this weekend, uh, there was a side of me that got kind of excited, uh, because this is actually some things that uh, I've had um, a lot of experience with, that I've had plenty of struggles with myself, and I want to share a little bit about how God has kind of shown me a lot about who I am and those emotions, and how he's kind of helped me process them and in most cases end up kind of on the healthy side of where those land. Um, But honestly, uh, and this is not me trying to be funny, I I got a little bit insecure about the weekend. You know, I I plan on sharing a little bit about some of those things that have made me feel uncomfortable. And as I was prepping, I'm like, God, are you sure you want me to process that right now or share about that? And I kind of feel like that is necessary. So, um, but that's the way excuse me, that's the way life works. And so um, I am excited to be with you guys today. And we're going to dive in here. We'll talk about insecurity. I want to walk you through one of my favorite passages that kind of navigates this uh, topic. And then we'll kind of land on a few places. I want to share where God has brought me. But, you know, when it comes to insecurity and when it comes to anxiety, you know, a lot of uh, common triggers usually tend to pop into our mind. Uh, Things that might cause that or help us to feel that way could be something about the way we look that we're not that confident about, right? It could be the fact that maybe our hairline is in a different place than it once was, and that makes us feel uh, a little insecure. Or uh, maybe our weight is not exactly where we want it. Or, you know, maybe you have a little bit of extra hair on your arm than you would prefer. And so far, I'm really just describing myself. But maybe you uh, uh, relate to some of these triggers that might cause you to feel insecure. And, and certainly, it could be the way that you engage relationships. Maybe you're awkward when it comes to engaging someone that you're attracted to to, you know, you go up to that girl and you're like, ha, you know, it's like that doesn't work out very well. But it's that insecurity, right, that <coughs> gets you all nervous and, and gets you um, 
really uh, upset and anxious about what could be happening there. I was looking around at some different resources on just kind of describing uh, insecurity and anxiety, and I came across this one definition on a website called goodtherapy.org, and it says this. It says, insecure individuals, in addition to struggling with the formation of healthy relationships, also may find it difficult to share emotions or to be forthright about important aspects of their daily life, such as those pertaining to school or to work. An individual who is too anxious or insecure to speak up about abilities may never receive a promotion, uh, which in turn may facilitate further insecurity due to a perceived lack of ability. Um, Those who have difficulty forming relationships or meeting others because of chronic insecurity may become too shy or anxious to face anyone at all, which can lead to a distancing from people in general. And so you can see in really any definition that you're going to come across is going to highlight at least a part of that, that if these emotions are left unchecked, they take you to a pretty dark place. They take you to a place of unhealth. And I've had moments in my life where these emotions have bested me and to a large degree, some of those phrases very much described part of my life. Now, insecurity is also much more than, you know, I'm afraid to ask that person out or do these jeans make my look big and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Insecurity is more than that, right? Like, it can also be, um, I did a project at school or I did a pro- I work project. Did anyone even notice the effort that I put in on all the hours and extra time that I put into that. Um, it could be something where, you know what, I wanna, I wanna impact my world, I wanna impact my community, but man, driving to that neighborhood and showing up there, I just feel like I, I can't do that, that it feels too unsafe, or I'm not sure I can relate with those folks. Um, I, I grew up in a different scenario or whatever. Like, we can feel very insecure about that. Or maybe it's about traveling. I've had tons of people uh, talk to me about the dangers of traveling overseas. And, you know, did you, did, did you see the headline about what's going on in that country? And they're so focused on the danger. They feel insecure about those types of things. And we can even project that insecurity. We can look at someone else's life and think, I can't believe they just made that life decision. What were they thinking? How could they possibly think that that was a good idea? And we'll actually build up an anxiety for someone else. We're so nervous about their life malfunctioning that we're the ones that are anxious about it. So anxiety can come from all over the place. And certainly one of the foundational things that I've seen happen tons of times is when it actually comes to our relationship with God. I've actually had conversations, just this week I was talking with a friend of mine from high school that still to this day will not darken the doors of a church. She will not come. She is so convinced that some version of spontaneous combustion is going to happen when she walks to the church. And that makes a couple of us chuckle, but she's serious. That's how deep down the spiral of her insecurity she is, that even God, who is expressing, I love you, I have an invitation for you, I have sacrificed myself for you, I want to show you what life is, she can't fathom that she would fit into that bubble. You don't know what I've done. I'm too bad. I'm not worth it. I'm not valuable. And that insecurity can even rock the ability for us to truly experience and engage God. Now, Some of this, of course, is very normal. All of us experience insecurity on some level. All of us experience anxiety on some level. 
But sometimes certain situations really spike that. Sometimes certain life scenarios really spike that for a long season. Some of us struggle with these things kind of as a lifelong battle. I'm certainly not going to pretend like we're going to address every angle and every possibility of these two emotions. I know that sometimes both of these things have triggers that are simply biological, and we have to engage those in a very unique way. What I know is if we want to be able to experience health in these emotions, that we must, 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 must come to God, and we must sense uh, his invitation to walk with us through the pain of these things. So for all of us, this isn't if we're ever gonna feel insecurity. This isn't if we're gonna feel anxious, but it's when, and how are we gonna be ready for it, and how are we gonna respond uh, in, a, in a good way? Now, personally, I've had a lot of experience uh, with these things, as I mentioned before. I was trying to find a picture, um, a very specific picture from my childhood to show you, and I couldn't find it, so stop looking at the screen for it, but I couldn't find it. Um, but see, here's what happened. See, I grew up in a house where you got your, your, your hair cut every eight to 10 weeks. So as a boy, that his haircut was traditionally a military flat top, eight to 10 weeks later, your hair was something, okay? It was this massive Italian fro that did not look fantastic, right? And then all of a sudden, I would get my hair cut, right? It would go right back down to that military-grade flat top, and then it would just grow off for the next two to three months, right? Well, this one time, my mom gets a fantastic idea. She's like, I'm going to buy some clippers. I'll just cut the boy's hair. And I'm like, fantastic. Maybe we'll get our hair cut more often, finally. Well, she goes to cut my hair, and halfway through the haircut, the clippers die, On a weeknight, got school the next day, and my parents, you're going to school. Well, in second grade, going to school with a half military flat top and half fro, <laughs> all my problems go back to my childhood. Um, well, the good news is the second graders are so understanding and so kind they don't make fun of anybody. I remember um, I've always been a little bit of a bigger kid. Even in fifth grade, I think I was already like five foot five and like 140 pounds. And I remember my cousins, someone out here go, jeez. Uh, but I remember, um, you know, my cousin used to have this nickname early on. My cousin used to call me Sasquatch. And it was just because like, you're my big cousin, you know? And I'm like, yeah, you hear that like once or twice, ha ha, three or four times. <laughs> like, stop calling me, you know, these names. <clears throat> I remember um, one time, my mom loved to cook fish. Many of you probably do. But my mom had a unique way of cooking fish. You see, she would buy uh, not fresh fish, but grocery store fish, which is fine. It wasn't the fresh fish. It was the unfresh fish. And then she would wait like four days to cook it. So it's like super not fresh. And then when you open up the package, there's this pungency that just kind of comes out, you know, and it's pretty terrible. And then she would make the fish and we would eat it. We wouldn't think much of it. And for whatever reason, I remember this one time she made the fish. I wasn't a put your clothes out before school the next day kind of kid, but that night I did. And I wake up in the morning, and it's a normal morning. I'm going through my motions. I get dressed. I get on the bus. I'm getting some funny looks. And I go to school, getting more of those funny looks. And about halfway through the day, I realize my nickname all day has been Fish Boy. Because that pungency of that eight-day-old perch had just permeated all of my clothes, and I was bringing it to class with me. Good news is it was eighth grade. You're not struggling with insecurity then. That was no problem. <laughs> uh, 
I remember uh, when I tried out for baseball uh, for the first, I didn't play any ball until I was 11 years old. Terrible age to start uh, that sport. You probably need a little bit more hand-eye coordination than starting at age 11, but I decided to try. It took me three years to get my first hit. Three years. You know how fun that, that's awful. The good news is, is my first hit was a 330-foot shot over the right field fence. And my coach was like, how did you, I didn't, anyway, but that was it. Didn't hit it again, but that one hit, nailed it. Um, so I try out for basketball the next year, and I knew during the tryouts, the moment I went for the layup and threw the ball over the backboard, that basketball was not in my future. So that was done. And you see, all of these things kept building into what was my personal insecurity spiral. Uh, everything kind of kept hitting me from every side, that I wasn't good enough, fast enough, coordinated enough, social enough, I was awkward enough. Uh, I, you know, my family was fine, but there were obviously plenty of moments where my family embarrassed me. And so it's just all these insecurities building up. And so what happened for me was I turned that on its edge. And I took it to a natural and but dark place where when you're really struggling with insecurities, one of our key temptations is to actually feel better about ourselves as long as someone else feels worse than us. And so I started pouring into other people, making sure that they felt more insecure than I did. And that elevated, elevated me a little bit. And basically, I turned into a jerk. I'm not, this is, not, redemp this is a, not a redemptive story, this part of it. Matter of fact, it was so bad that a girl that I went to high school with uh, knew uh, my wife in that same time frame. My wife and I met at the end of college. We started dating. This girl, this mutual friend, found out about it. She goes to Mandy and says, you need to get away from Joe Caruso as fast as possible. And started walking through this laundry list of all the different ways in which I treated people terrible during high school. Now, I gave my life to Christ a week after I graduated high school. And I had been full bore, just, Jesus, I need you. I need you to change me. And thankfully, Mandy had seen that transition happen where the math wasn't adding up. But it was also one of my first major understandings of how God was inserting himself into my life, into my insecurities, into my anxiety, and helping me understand what real life could look like as I engaged it. Even a couple of years ago, I remember I was going down to a funeral in Ashland from my house. It was about a 50-minute drive. And that particular night, the beautiful weather was helping me in all the wrong ways. It was about 31 to 33 degrees and pouring down rain. I love that weather when you don't know if the rain's about to freeze on the road or not and you're driving at least 50 minutes away. It was fantastic. And I remember every semi that passed me, every time I passed a car, Every time the car even jerked a little bit, I could not shake the overwhelming feeling that that night might be my last night as a father, that my daughter would be left alone. Because I, and I, I mean, I literally thought for a while I was gonna have to pull the car over and call someone to come get me. I could not shake it. I remember finally getting to the funeral and I remember talking to my buddy about his mom who had passed and Something about that conversation sparked, and I just spent some time uh, off to the side just praying, God, I need your help. I know you're in control of my life. I know you're the one that numbers my days. I know you're the one that's keeping me focused enough to drive home, and I desperately need you to do that. And I remember just going to him like, I don't know what's going on right now, but I am totally out of control. And that type of anxiety has crept in, different situations, different things pop in, 
and we have to figure out how to address it. I share all this not to just say, hey, look at my life, I'm awkward, okay? Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to do that. What I am trying to say is, I get it. Insecurity is hard. Anxiety is hard. And those aren't things that you just push through and say, ah, whatever. Similar to Ryan last week, talked about his shoulder injury, right? And you can, you can ignore it, but that's gonna creep back up in a worse way. And we have to figure out how to engage that. If you've experienced anything like what I've just shared, maybe a little bit lighter than that, maybe not quite as intense, or maybe way much more intense, then I wanna invite you into engaging God this morning on how he's inviting us to walk with him through that pain. Ryan even gave us this great illustration last week where our pain is real, okay? There's things that are happening in our life that are truly gripping us, that truly have our full attention. And we have an option <coughs> excuse me, to actually engage a real God in that pain. He's inviting us to do so. And if we engage him, we see this glimpse and this hope that there is real life in God on the other side. And I've seen God interact with me in tons of personal ways through these moments. And I wanna share some of that with you this morning. I'd like to look at one of my favorite Old Testament examples of this. So if you would, would you open your Bibles to Judges 6? If you don't have a Bible with you, you can grab one of the ones under the chairs. We'll be on page 169 in those Bibles, or you can open up an app or the church app and follow along there. But we're gonna park here in Judges 6 for a little bit. We're gonna talk about this guy named Gideon. Gideon, uh, give you a little bit of background. The Israelite people, Gideon was an Israelite. The Israelite people were being basically completely ostracized from their own land. They were being hunted down by other people groups. And so they were in hiding, okay? They were completely in terror, and they were trying to figure out how to navigate life on the side, okay? And so that's kind of where we enter into this story. And Gideon, at this point, is just a normal guy, okay? And in verse 11, God approaches him, and it says this. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash the Abrazite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now, don't skip past this. Sometimes we can read the Bible way too fast. Did you catch that he's threshing wheat in a wine press? Okay, I don't know if you know anything about threshing wheat. Normally that's done on a threshing floor. And I don't know if you know anything about a wine press, but usually that's used to make wine. It's funny how the English uh, language works that way. It just relates it right away. It's fun. But what this is actually illustrating is the state in which Gideon is completely anxious and nervous about life. Things are so out of sorts that he's actually completely navigating life backwards. He's like, well, I have to get some of this wheat taken care of. I'm gonna go to this safe place, okay? It looks like he's in a cave and he's like hiding and threshing the wheat in a wine press, okay? His life is falling apart. In verse 12, it continues. It says, when the angel Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon says, well, pardon me, my Lord, but if the Lord is with us, why, why has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Gideon's a simple guy. You can almost hear the insecurity in his voice as he's asking these questions. Like God shows up, this angel shows up and he's like, hello. And he's like, but, 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 and you don't understand. Like he's already kind of like in this instant whining, you don't understand my issues role. 
I've been there before where there's always an, a reason in your head why these things aren't coming together the way that you want. But you see, when I'm in this situation, what I'm realizing is that in these moments, I'm lacking trust. And sometimes when we're experiencing these hard emotions, sometimes we lack trust. We don't trust who's in control. We don't trust who's actually beckoning us forward in life. We look ahead at the things we need to do and we're completely misguided by who is engaging us. Now here's the problem with this struggle of anxiety. At its core, insecurity and anxiety is actually a form of idolatry. Now that might seem a little bit backwards at first because most of us perceive insecurity and anxiety is actually putting ourselves down. Like, I'm not good enough. I'm not valuable. But when you take that emotion to the end of the line, it almost always has to do with the fact that we're not in control. That I can't determine what's going on. I can't make this situation happen the way that I want it to happen. I can't force this person the way to, to do things the way that I want them to. We end up elevating ourselves to as long as the world operates the way that I want it to, I wouldn't be anxious. And I wouldn't feel insecure because everybody would be listening to me. You see, insecurity can be much darker than we intend it to. And again, I've been in those places. The amount of times I've thought to myself that as long as I can control the situation, it'll be just fine. But I can destroy that just as fast as anybody. The moments in time where I'm so anxious because things just aren't working out and I can't force them to, that I forget to depend upon God in the first place. Some, when they talk about insecurity, they'll say something like, um, well, my, my weakness is actually my pride, <laughs> um, which we all know pride can be negative anyway. But many times pride is actually a mask that insecure folks will put on to try to hide their insecurity. I know that because I've done it for a long time. We try to somehow purport that Check me out. I got this all together. I remember when I was struggling with all those sports and stuff in school, I found out that I could sing a little bit. And so I tried out for musicals and tried out for choirs and tried out for, and got some of those parts. And I thought, you know, I mean, check me out. I can, I can swoon. <laughs> and uh, girls will like me if they know I can sing pretty well. That didn't work out very well either. But uh, like, <laughs> you start to put on a different version of pride to hide the insecurities that you're feeling. And this whole swirl is completely enveloped by the fact that we lack trust. If you've ever sounded like this, if you've ever felt like this, like I have, then this is where God is inviting us to trust him. This is where God is inviting us to say, come be with me. The antidote in this scenario is a relationship with God. I want to go back to verse 12. We skipped over a neat detail here. He says, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now remember, this is Gideon. He's a normal guy. He's threshing wheat in a wine press. He's hiding out. From all sakes and purposes, we can understand that Gideon was actually more on the cowardly side of things. And yet God addresses him and says, hello, mighty warrior. 
Now, does God have the wrong Gideon? You know, did he pick out the wrong guy and go, oh, I, I didn't mean you. Yeah, you're right. You're, you're a coward. Uh, I was going for it. No. God saw something in Gideon that we can't see for ourselves. This is one of the reasons that we absolutely have to understand that we cannot always have a clear picture of who we are. Sometimes in insecurity and anxiety, sometimes we lack an understanding of our identity. We don't know who we are. We don't trust what other people say about us. We don't trust what God says about us. When he shows up and he says, hey, mighty warrior, we're like, whoa, 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 just like Gideon did. Look at verse 14. God continues, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. And then Gideon says, pardon me, Lord, but, but how, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest. I'm the least in my family. He is defining his identity as weak and putrid, and he's not seeing anything good about himself. I've lied to myself this way. I'm not smart enough. I'm from the wrong zip code. I'm not good looking enough. I'm not prepared enough. I'm not educated enough. You don't understand the problems my family has had, and therefore I'm not qualified to you don't know what I've been through, therefore am I allowed to even address that scenario? We can talk ourselves out of these things way too fast. Gideon is hiding. The Lord addresses him as mighty warrior. God's view is completely different than that of our own. Completely different. There was this um, moment a couple of weeks ago. I was at my brother and sister-in-law's house. They had just had a new baby. Um, and my wife and I went to go visit with my little girl. My little girl's about two and a half years old, and we were playing in their basement, me, my brother, my daughter, and his older son that's also about two. And my daughter uh, grabs one of those toy vacuum cleaners that most of us have played with as a kid, <coughs> and uh, she ends up whipping it around real quick. Two-year-olds do that. They're not thinking, you know, and it whips around and just smacks my brother right in the knee. Um, my brother can take it. He's bigger than me. Uh, but my, he whips, she whips it around. You know, he kind of does one of these numbers. It hurt a little bit. And so here's a moment. My brother's fine, but here's a moment. I'm a dad. I have a two and a half year old. I'm going to, you know, teach her about saying I'm sorry. So I look at my daughter and said, hey, go tell Uncle Mario. Uh, we're Italian. Go tell Uncle Mario uh, that you're sorry. And she just looks at me and goes, and I said, honey, it's okay, but you, you hit Uncle Mario in the knee with the toy. Go tell him you're sorry. She just gives me this look. At that moment, I'm realizing she's not being rebellious. She's, she's insecure about this situation. She's suddenly feeling the shame of hitting someone else. So I said, honey, it's okay. Like, Uncle, but you hit Uncle Mario in the knee. Let's just go over here, tell him you're sorry. Tears just start welling up deep in her eyes. She runs over to me, grabs me, squeezes me harder than she's ever hugged me before, and just sobs on my shoulder for about two minutes. Sobs. And I'm thinking to myself, I just wanted you to say you're sorry, right? But she is melting down. And so I'm whispering her in her ear, honey, honey, 
It's okay. I got it. I'll hold you. We'll be fine. We can tell them you're sorry together, but it's okay. I'm right here with you. And eventually she got up and, you know, she did one of those like, sorry, you know. But you could tell even saying those words, she was just so melted. We have the same opportunity. When we feel insecure about something, when we're feeling shameful about something we've done or something that we're not, when we're anxious in a situation, like my daughter, we, can, we could have just run over to the side and ignore it, pretend like nothing happened, or we can run to our dad. And he can remind us who we are. It's okay. I got you. Your dad's here. I'm with you. I'm not going to leave you behind. I will help you walk through this. We have that invitation. We have that opportunity to process those things with our Heavenly Father. And He wants us to. This is where peace is possible. My daughter found peace running into the arms of her dad in a situation where she didn't know what to do. I can't tell you how many times I have found peace running to the arms of my father, not having any clue what to do. Now as we look, we see this continue. With the Lord, uh, in verse 16, it says, The Lord answered, I will be with you as you go do what I just told you to do. And then in the chapter 7, Early in the morning, Gideon and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. And the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. You see, sometimes we get in situations where we don't have enough to get by. Gideon had recruited thousands and thousands of soldiers to go do the work that God called him to do. And then God whittled that down to just a few, a few hundred. Sometimes we'll go into these situations where I'll, I'll feel anxious, I'll feel anxiety, and I'm just sitting here going, I've never done this before. I've never had to have that conversation before. I've never had to pick up the phone and call and, and talk through that. I've never had to take that step forward. I've, I've never had to go talk to the boss about, I've never worked on this kind of project before. All of that sounds very normal, right? And you might be thinking, is that really our fault? Is it our fault that we've never done that before? Is it our fault that we're a rookie in that situation? And I would answer, no. And yet we still feel insecure. We still feel anxious. Why? Listen, all insecurity and anxiety is not bad. Some of it's natural. Some of it's very natural. And this is where, like in this passage, God reminds us things like, I will be with you. You see, sometimes in this anxiety, we lack experience. And God is purposefully inviting us into something new. And he's purposefully inviting us into it because he will walk alongside us. I remember the first time I had to do a hospital visit. I became a pastor at 23 years old. And uh, my, my senior pastor at the time looked at me and said, hey, I want you to go visit Edna in the hospital. Edna's an 85-year-old woman on her deathbed. I'm a 23-year-old guy 
that has no clue how to do a hospital visit. Uh, they don't teach that class in the school. Um, and I had never done it before. And what value could a 23-year-old boy uh, have in visiting an 85-year-old woman that's lived her entire life and is probably on her way out of this life? So I thought, I need to pray about this, God. I need you to help me through this conversation. So I get in the car and I remember there's this verse in the Bible that says, God will give you the words to speak. And I'm like, that's what I'm gonna, God, I need you to give me the words to speak. Now I found out later that's totally out of context. But at the moment, okay, I was like, God, you'll give me the words to speak. You'll give me the words to speak. I remember pulling into the parking lot. God, please give me the words to speak. Getting upstairs, finding out where a room was. All the, God, please give me the words to speak. And I walk into that hospital room and, Hey, <laughs> and God did not give me the words to speak. Uh, it was one of the most awkward conversations I may have ever had in my life. And uh, four hours later, the watch said only 12 minutes, but it felt like four hours later, I decided to go ahead and pray for her and I left and I thought, that's it. My ministry career is over before it ever started. I am out the door and uh, this is it. I get to church the following weekend and her family starts, I can see them coming like a wave and they're all approaching me. And I'm like, well, I haven't been fired yet. This must be the firing squad. This is them. Aunt Edna probably died that night. They probably got contagiously contracted old age and now they're gonna die. And now what's gonna happen? And they come up to me and to the person, my aunt, my mom, my grandma was so glad that you came and visited her. She wouldn't stop talking about Pastor Joe coming. And I'm like, was there a different Pastor Joe that came by and visited? She goes, no, big Italian Harry. I'm like, okay, enough. Like, that's, that's enough, right? Like, but I was like, oh my gosh. And Edna was just elated with our 12-minute visit. And I've had a few moments in my life where I feel like God has just pressed something right into my heart and this was one of those moments where as this family is sharing with me, I felt like God was saying, listen, I'm the one that works in the hearts and minds of people. I just need you to be willing to show up when I ask you to. I didn't say anything of value at that meeting, but it would certainly seem as if God did a few things with her. He reminded her that she's not been forgotten, that God still loves her, that he's not forsaken her, that there's still value in her life even though she's struggling to maintain it and hold on to it in her bed. That God is using her even 13 years later. A simple story about her life is encouraging at least me. <laughs> and God was doing something in her life that I could never dream of doing. But we need to be willing to take that step. It's okay if we're inexperienced. It's okay if we have no idea what we're doing. If we feel like God is asking us to do it, he's gonna walk alongside us. He's gonna come along and he knows. He knows what to say, he knows what to do, he knows how to work in our lives. <coughs> it reminded me of a passage in James and if you've never gone through the book of James in your Bible, please do. It's a phenomenal uh, book to read through and hear about the character of God and uh, but in chapter one, verses three and four, it says, you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And certainly when we're in these situations where we're feeling insecure and not sure what to do next, where we're feeling like a rookie, we've never been this age before in this circumstance before. Certainly our faith is being tested and God is producing something in us. 
In verse four, it says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. God is developing us and he's changing us and he's maturing us. I'm certainly not the guy that today is gonna teach a master's level course on how to do hospital visits. A, that class doesn't exist. B, I'm still not quite that guy. But now I've done that a few times now. I've, I've, I've walked with families in times of that sorrow. I've done plenty of hospital visits now. I've been with people when they passed away. I've gone through those scenarios. God has matured me in those moments. God has made me look a little bit more like him in those times of helping people through times of sorrow. God is helping me persevere. He's helping me mature. He's helping me become more complete. But I have to walk through the test. When God is saying, I will be with you, will you please go do this? We have to say, yes. If you struggle with any of these, like I have, if you struggle with not knowing when to trust God or when to understand what your identity actually is, or you feel paralyzed when you feel inexperienced, and insecurity and anxiety begins to swoop in, then this is where we have to remember that God invites us to walk with him. It's the only way that I've gotten through these scenarios. And while certainly anxiety and insecurity can be more deep than a simple, here's the answer, I guarantee we're not gonna find that healing without engaging God. We have to have that spiritual foundation. In 2 Timothy 1.7, there's a great encouragement here and a reminder of what it's like when we begin to truly get involved with God. It says this, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but it gives us power and love and self-discipline. When we're feeling anxious, that's not something that spending time with God produces. God is actually encouraging us to spend time with him because he wants to instill in us a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. One that is more apt to respond and actually engage scenarios the way that we were meant to. The more that we spend time with God, the more that his likeness starts to come out in us. As we spend time in his word, as we spend time in the scriptures, we start to realize that things are a little bit different than we initially perceive. That God is reminding us who he is. He's reminding us who we are. And he's reminding us that he will walk alongside us even if we don't know what's going on. But we have to actually engage him if we want the benefits of that relationship. Do you know that in the scripture there are hundreds, hundreds of reminders where God is reminding him or his people or us to not fear, to not worry, to not let your heart be troubled, to fear not. He is constantly reminding us that he knows. He's dad. He wants us to come to him so that he can remind us, I got this. I understand. The situation maybe seemed too big to you, but it's not for me. I can help you go through this. One of the places I've gone to very regularly as a reminder on how to navigate these situations is in Philippians 4, verses six through nine. This is a place that I go to every time I feel even a little bit emotionally overwhelmed. And it starts like this. Do not be anxious about anything, 
But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now I want to slow down for a second, because this is not one of those verses we might read a little bit too fast. I like to read fast. Sometimes I do that, and it's not good. This is not a verse simply reminding us to pray more. This verse is reminding us that we have no actual need to be anxious about anything, but go to dad, talk to him, petition him, go to him regularly. God, this, I'm struggling with this. I feel overwhelmed by this job transition is way more difficult than I thought it was going to be. My boss is being more demanding of me than I can handle. My marriage is in a place where I don't know what to say next. My class schedule is so full, I don't know what to do next. You mean I'm supposed to define the direction of my life now? I don't even know what classes to take this semester. And these emotions can sweep in and we can go back and take those to God and petition him and thank him that we're able to come to him in the first place. And then verse seven, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. Peace that doesn't make sense. Why do I feel peaceful in this moment? Life is crazy. God's like, right, it's peace that doesn't make sense because I am here now to guard your heart and your mind. The passage continues. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. For me, it is way too easy to slip into negative thoughts. It's way too easy to slip into cynicism you get into social media and you start to read what people are arguing about, complaining about, murmuring about. Can you believe this person did this? Can you believe they let this tragedy happen? Can you believe this decision was made? Our life as we know it is over. If you don't do this, you're gonna die in a couple, you can get swooped. And then you add in the internet trolls and they're just trying to push your buttons and we're pointing fingers at each other and we're arguing through electronics with one another. We're, <coughs> we're saying things that we would never tell someone to their face. It is so easy to get swooped into that negative cynicism. Everything that is in front of us is battling for our attention and battling for our mindset. And it's in those moments when I let those messages dominate me that I'm most apt to feel completely insecure that I'm most apt to feel so anxious about life that I don't want to get past today. But when I'm reminded to think about what's pure, what's lovely, what's noble, what's true, what's admirable, my perspective shifts. And I still have the opportunity to engage people and community, but now it's through love and an understanding that God is leading us and leading me through it but we have to go to the source to do that. Where do we find the nobility? Where do we find the excellence? Those aren't just things that we can pull out of thin air. If you're swirling in negativity, you can't suddenly just say, you know what, think about good things. Think about happy thoughts. We're not Peter Pan. 
okay? Like we're, we're trying to actually fill our minds and our hearts with the words of God. We're going to him, we're leaning on his shoulder saying, I need you to remind me and tell me the reality of where things are at. So we get into the scripture and we actually read these stories of Jesus. We read about our creator. We read about how he interacts with people. We read about his mercy. We read about his goodness. And we begin to translate that to understand how our families and our life dynamics work. And we start to think about those pure things and those noble things and those admirable things. And it sets our mind on those as opposed to the insecurity and the anxiety. But to take our thoughts captive. It's the only way that I have been able to find peace. And that's exactly what that passage says. When you're thinking about those things, the God of peace will be with you. Now, when I think about that swooping grid that Ryan showed us last week, that of course we're experiencing this real pain. Of course we're anxious about those things. Of course we feel insecure about those things. We have to realize that even in the depths of those moments that God is inviting us to engage him in it, there is a real God inviting us to engage him even when we feel completely lost. And there is hope and there is life on the other side if we'll let God take us there. Now, as I've been processing this conversation and praying about it, there's some action steps that I feel like God has been impressing on me that I want to share with you because I feel like maybe they might be helpful to you as well. The first thing that I had to do in the last few days is I need to self-engage this topic. I thought that almost every one of my examples leading into this weekend were in the past and diving into it, I'm realizing that God's pointing out a couple of things that I still feel really insecure about that I'm not addressing some things that I'm still anxious about, that I'm still trying to control, that I need to give over to God. So where are you at? How are we self-assessing? Is this something situational that I just need to make sure that I'm prepared for when these things come up? All the way to, is this a lifelong battle? Maybe we, maybe we together need to explore really getting into some Christian counseling, talking with someone about where our perspective really lies, what's the depth of our issue? but we need to self-engage it. We need to be willing to engage the pain and of course, invite God to be with us. I wanna dive deep into who God says that I am. I heard this phrase not too long ago and it rocked me. It said, I'm not who I think I am. I'm not who you think I am, but I really am who God says I am. Now that's this nice, cute little pithy statement, but we lie to ourselves about who we are. I've looked in the mirror and I've told myself that I'm way better than I am. I've also looked in the mirror and told myself that I'm way worse than I really am. I've had people build me up on a fake platform and say, you're pretty awesome and I knew I didn't deserve it. And I've had people certainly tear me down and say things that weren't true about me too. But the one person that I can trust to know exactly who I am is God. He created me. He knows me in and out. He knows my fears and worries and anxieties, strengths and weaknesses better than I could even guess that they are. He sets our identity. Some of us in here need to rediscover that. We've been following Christ for a little while or maybe for a long time, but we need to rediscover what it's like to depend upon Christ for our daily identity, 
to come to him in our anxieties and our insecurities. Some of us in here, we're not even really sure if we're into the religion thing. This is kind of the point of Jesus, that Jesus is inviting us to experience life with him. As mankind and as individuals, God sees that we can't handle this on our own. So he sent Jesus to die on the cross for us because we couldn't handle the weight of our own sin by ourselves. And if we believe in his death and his resurrection, then our life can be found in him. And we can find that there's a real God in our pain and that there's real life with God on the other side. It's the whole conversation. And if you don't know Jesus, that's, that's the invitation that God has been making your entire life, whether you realize it or not. That God is saying, come, let me show you what this is. Let me show you what it's like not to have to fear. Let me show you what it's like to have a life in your creator free from your sin. We all have to figure out where are we responding to God. On the other side of the coin, looking outside of ourselves, this conversation really has me thinking about how can I alleviate someone else's insecurity? How can I be a part of helping someone else realize who they really are, how much God really loves them, how much value they do actually have? Where can I be an encouragement? Do I need to go visit grandma? Do I need to go talk with my neighbor who I know has been having a hard time? Do I need to go spend time with that cousin? Should I call up that old friend that I know is really battling with this stuff? And can I begin to slowly speak some truth back into their life and encourage them through this hard time? Can I be an extension of God meeting them in the real pain? As I was thinking through that and kind of getting encouraged, I wrote a few names down. And all of a sudden it hit me like a ton of bricks. Is there anyone, is there anyone that I'm feeding their insecurity? The way I talk to them, the things I say about them. Listen, I like to tease. I like to have a fun time with that. It's, I've even said to some people, it's my love language. But listen, some people have thick skin. It's still skin. It's not bulletproof. You've made the Sasquatch joke enough times, now it's starting to hurt that person. Are you feeding into it? I, I, I'm feeling so, I have to respond. I, had a, I wrote a few names down. I, I treat this person more poorly than I ever intend. Am I feeding anyone's insecurity? Do I joke too much? Am I just straight up being demeaning to someone? Am I tearing someone down? Do I need to go apologize to someone? And definitely, do I need to totally reroute how I interact with anybody? Because if we're feeding into that insecurity, <coughs> excuse me, we're certainly uh, not following God in his footsteps there. The last thing that I feel very challenged on is I want this summer to be an action-oriented summer. There are people in my life, I have a neighbor in particular and a family member in particular that I have in my mind that I've been avoiding meaningful conversation with. I'm nervous how they're gonna respond. 
I don't want to bring this topic up because I'm nervous that they're going to not want to hang out with me anymore, that they're not going to see me the same way. I'm nervous to have that conversation with the family member because they're going to see me more as a pastor than they're going to see me as just their brother. But I want to have that conversation. Are we willing to have an action-oriented summer and step through those insecurities, even if God is saying, I know you're inexperienced in this, but I'll be with you. I want to help you love that person. I want to help you engage that person. I want to help you take that step. I want this to be a summer where I make progress, where I push go on the things that I feel insecure about so God can mature me and God can continue to transform me from the inside out. Guys, anxiety and insecurity <coughs> hits from all different angles, from every which direction, different situations, different life struggles. But the foundation of where we're at today is that God invites us to walk with him through that pain, through that emotion towards life. And I pray that every one of us, no matter where we're finding ourselves in this conversation, would be willing to take that step would be willing to open up with God, maybe open up with others and start processing these emotions so that we can find health, so that we can find life, so we can find what God intended in the first place. The band's gonna come out here in just a moment and we're gonna sing a couple of songs together and I really wanna recommend that you take a moment and just pray the lyrics of these songs. The lyrics of these songs are so... They're, they're gripping me every time I'm hearing them. They're right, it's like God is meeting us right here through some music. Take some time to pray, to focus, to sing, to worship, to engage where God is at and what he's inviting you to do next. Will you pray with me? God, <coughs> thank you um, for being willing to walk with us through this pain for being willing to remind us who we are, for inviting us to be a part of your family. God, personally, I am so grateful for the small and larger victories that you've helped me see in this area that I could not have done without you. I trace back every success that I've had in these areas to my relationship with you, and I am humbled by that and so grateful. God, I pray that for those in the room that are thinking, this is a pretty situational thing. Every once in a while it creeps in. I pray that you would help them dive into their relationship and understanding with you so they're ready to respond and not just react the next time those situations arise. I pray for those in the room that this conversation is only scratching the surface where life seems overwhelming and they don't know where to turn next. I pray that you would give them the strength and the courage and the boldness to at least take the first step to talk with someone, to begin truly laying this all out in front of you, and that we would all come to our Father and accept the invitation to walk through this pain together with you. Thank you for being so real and so interactive and so engaging with us in this. And as we sing, I pray that you would continue to mold our hearts to see you more clearly. It's your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.